The text for this morning's sermon is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Before we turn to that text, we'll first read a couple of other passages in the New Testament. We'll read first from Acts chapter 17, the verses 1 through 9. In this passage, we pick up with Paul and Silas in the middle of one of their missionary journeys. And in the passage, they they come to Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, for the first time. Now, our text is taken from one of the letters to the Thessalonian churches. So, our reading from Acts 17 sets some of the context, tells us a little bit about what this church was like. So, we'll read Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Thus far, our reading from Acts chapter 17, we'll also now turn to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonian church. We'll read also chapter 1. In this chapter, we'll we'll see some major themes throughout this letter that will uh, also appear later on in our text in chapter 5. We'll start to get some more context for this church and read from chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit." So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, 
not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now let's also turn to our text in in chapter 5. Where we read about the topic, the subject of the day of the Lord. I understand one of the elders was just saying before the service that your theme text has recently been taken from chapter 4. So I guess you're all fairly familiar with the context of this letter already. Which, which will set us up well for this text. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starting at verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Thus far, our text and the reading from God's holy word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, let's start off this morning with a question. Do you live for the weekend? Now, that's a common thing to say in our culture, isn't it? Do you work all week in order to enjoy a good Friday night out? Or maybe, here's another take on the same question, do you work for vacation? Do you suffer through the hard work year in order to make it to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. Well, that's the perspective of many people in our world. It doesn't really matter what happens during the week as, as long as you have enough money to enjoy yourself on Friday night. And on vacation, there's no greater joy to be had than finally making it down to Vegas and, and playing some casinos, right? Live your best life now. You only live once, Right? Well, that's the kind of perspective that the Apostle Paul writes about to the church in Thessalonica. 
But this way of living, it's built on, on nothing more than what someone can see in the world around them. It doesn't take into account the realities of eternal life and eternal death. The unbeliever, they look ahead to the weekend or their next vacation, but they don't look ahead to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They live in this cycle of sleeping, working, sleeping, working, party, and repeat. But the Apostle Paul has a different message for the Thessalonians and for us this morning. Since the Lord Jesus will return, since there is more to life than just what someone can see on the surface, we are to live in a different way. Paul teaches that, in a sense, looking forward to the weekend does shape how the believer lives each weekday. But it's not a mere Friday night that we're looking forward to. It's the return of our Lord Jesus. Because one day, those who are working only for that Friday night, they'll have their work week unexpectedly interrupted by His return. But Paul teaches us, if we live prepared during the week for His return, then we will receive a reward far better than any weekend. We will forever live with the Lord Jesus Himself. And that brings us to our theme for this morning's sermon. Let us watch and be sober as we live in light of the day of the Lord. We'll see three things. First, our identity as children of the day. Second, our task as children of the day. And third, our destiny as children on the great day. So first, we'll consider our identity as children of the day. Now, in this letter, Paul writes to a church that is made up of new believers, most of whom are of Gentile, non-Jewish origin. And our expectation might be that they were still learning how to put their faith into practice in their everyday lives. But the Thessalonians, even though they were young, they were faithful. Paul wrote in chapter 1 that they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that they became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Paul mentions affliction. And if we go back to our readings in Acts chapter 17, we saw some of that affliction. The Jews who were not persuaded by Paul's teaching in the synagogue, they, they gathered together a mob they set all the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason, one of the believers there. But when they did not find Paul and Silas, they instead dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities. The believers immediately sent Paul and Silas away from this dangerous situation. But even in the next city, the Jews from Thessalonica, they, they came and, and tracked Paul's footsteps. They disrupted his preaching. So if the Jews in the entire city of Thessalonica were causing trouble for, for the church from the start, these new believers in Thessalonica would have to live lives of faith with their eyes wide open to persecution. Then in the, the final verses of chapter 1, Paul summarizes their faith. He says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We could, we could say that the Thessalonians, they are forward-looking believers. They wait for the Lord, Jesus Himself, to deliver them fully. And just before our text begins in chapter 5, Paul writes about what will happen when the Lord will return. All His people, all believers, those who have died and those who are still alive, they will meet Him as He returns in the clouds. And then as we pick up in our text in in chapter 5, Paul continues. He says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, Paul and Silas, they haven't been among the Thessalonian church for very long, but they had taught them well. In our text, Paul doesn't provide them with any new information, but he directs them and assures them to words that he had already given to them. He assures them that they already know the truth about the Lord Jesus' return. But we should notice that Paul uses an important phrase for the first time in this letter. He refers to the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? Well, in the context of the letter, it's clear that this is the day when the Lord will return. But we should also know that this phrase, the day of the Lord, it also appears in the Old Testament, in, in several books of the prophets. For example, the prophet Zephaniah writes that the day of the Lord is a day of wrath, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities. Now, this this prophet, he speaks pretty clearly. He paints a stark picture. The day of the Lord is a day of terrible judgment against those who do not fear Him. And the same is true in our text this morning. Jesus will return, but we must know that He will return in judgment. Then Paul continues. He uses an illustration. He says, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, for those of us who know our scriptures well, this this example might sound familiar to us. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus himself had used a similar picture. He said, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. But Paul, in our text, he's not telling the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord will bring judgment against them. The day of the Lord will not surprise them like a thief in the night. They already know these things. He has already told them that. He makes this point more clear with another picture. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Again, if we're reading closely, we might recognize that Paul's words remind us of something Jesus had said as well. Again, in Matthew chapter 24, when he compares the days of Noah to the days of his return. 
The, the people of Noah's day, they lived their lives with no idea that judgment was on the horizon until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So in our text, Paul is not speaking about the Thessalonian believers. He's speaking about their unbelieving neighbors. And in Acts 17, we read about some of these neighbors. The Jews were envious and they had gathered a mob. They had told the city authorities, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. The Jews charged Paul and Silas with turning the world upside down. And if we, if we think about it, to some extent, they were right. The kingdom of God looks very different than any kingdom we might see around us on earth. But the Jews, they didn't want to hear about the kingdom of God. They were happy with their status quo. And so they played on the fears of others in the city. The, the, the city of Thessalonica also wanted safety and peace. They didn't want their world turned upside down. When the light gets turned on in a dark room, it hurts your eyes. You might close your eyes and then swipe at the light switch to turn it right back off. Comfortable darkness feels better than adjusting to the light. But on the day of the Lord, there will be no turning off that light switch for the unbeliever. But, and there's always a but, Paul says, you, brethren, you are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. And there's a, a beautiful detail in these verses. Paul has been writing to the brethren, addressing them as, as you. You have no need. You yourselves know perfectly. He's been speaking to them, but not necessarily with them. But then he makes an important change. He says in verse 5, We are not of the night, nor of darkness. He includes himself, Silas and Timothy, alongside all the Thessalonian believers. Because everything that is true about the Thessalonians' identity in Christ, it's also true of Paul. It's, it's true of every believer. It's true of us today as well. As believers in the 21st century, we can then read ourselves into the we of Paul's text here. We are sons and daughters of light, sons and daughters of the day. And as we move forward in our text, this helps us then to apply Paul's good news and his instructions on how to live more directly to ourselves. Now, so far in this passage, Paul has instructed and encouraged the Thessalonians by way of contrast. The day of the Lord will be a day of terrible judgment against unbelievers. That day will bring sudden destruction that is as unexpected as a thief in the night 
and as inescapable as labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman. But this is not the case for us, for those in Christ Jesus. Sons of light are fundamentally different from sons of darkness. For us, the day of the Lord will not bring sudden destruction. It will not be unexpected. We will not want to escape. Paul doesn't yet explain why this is the case. He'll do that a little later in our text. But we know the truth. Believers are different than unbelievers because we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So the difference between children of the day and children of the night, it's therefore one of identity. That's Paul's focus in the first few verses of our text. He's not admonishing the new believers for living as though they were children of the night. No, he's encouraging them. And he's encouraging us that, that we are sons and daughters of the day. And that because we are sons and daughters of the day, we can eagerly look forward to the great day of the Lord. And that brings us to our second point where we'll consider our task as children of the day. So now that we've learned about our identity, the different be difference between sons of the day and, and sons of the night, we might ask, well, what, what difference does this make for our day-to-day -day lives? We know that the day of the Lord is coming and that we don't have to be afraid, but, but what does this mean for us today? Well, Paul gives an answer to these questions as he continues in verse 6. He says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. He's giving instructions to the Thessalonians on the basis of their identity. Because you are sons of light, he teaches, this is how you should live. And again, he's, he's teaching by way of contrast. Don't live as others do, but in a different way. Verse 8, for those, rather verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul's here expanding the illustration that he has already used earlier in the text. He's moving on from, from who unbelievers are, sons of the night, to, to what they do. And in this picture, those who sleep at night, they never wake up to a new day. Their entire life is spent in darkness, so their entire life is spent doing the things of darkness, falling asleep and getting drunk. Paul is not speaking here literally of, of sleep and, and getting drunk, although those certainly sometimes fall into the same category. He's using these images that, that point to spiritual matters, being spiritually unaware, spiritually asleep, blinding oneself even more to spiritual matters as you run after earthly pleasures. And if we look back to verse 3, we can fill out the picture of these sons of the night. 
because these are the ones saying peace and safety. But this is not only what these people say, it, it shapes their way of life, what they do. We can think back to the crowds and the rulers of the city of Thessalonica. They are troubled when they hear about Paul's teaching because they think they live in peace and safety. But the peace they think of, it's, it's only on the surface level. This so-called peace, it will be shattered on the day of the Lord's return when He comes in judgment against them. Now, the people of Thessalonica share this worldview with the people of 21st century Canada because both peoples, they live in the darkness of sinful human nature. Perhaps we can think about how shocking it was when, when Russia first invaded Ukraine. Among other things, we saw how fragile peace and safety in the world really is. But this problem, it's not just international. It, ha- it hits much closer to home. There are many voices in our own culture who clamor peace and safety. Those who live with much suffering, they're allowed to have their lives ended with medical help to rest in so-called peace. Those who want to live out their sexual desires in ways contrary to what Scripture teaches, they're given free reign, no judgment, for the sake of keeping the peace. After all, if there seems to be peace and safety, we can't disturb that peace, can we? Well, brothers and sisters, Paul, Paul certainly disturbed the peace in Thessalonica. And he has instructions for us as, as believers today. He says in verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now Paul adds to the word picture that he's been building throughout our passage. The Thessalonian believers were to be as sober as on-duty soldiers. A soldier must not fall asleep on the job. And in fact, if he's wearing a breastplate and helmet as he's supposed to be doing, he probably won't be able to. If a soldier stops watching his, att- his surroundings closely, an enemy might slip past undetected. But the, the, the armor that Paul speaks of here, it's not just any old armor. This armor has its roots in the Old Testament, where we're taught in, in Isaiah chapter 59 that God Himself put on armor. We read in that chapter, His own arm brought salvation for Him, and His own righteousness, it sustained Him. For He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. God himself put on armor to bring salvation because there was no one else who could. And now, in this context, with that war already won by God, we are now called to to take up armor ourselves, just as the Thessalonians were. And did you notice anything special about what this armor is made of? Faith hope, and love. We're reminded of Paul's words in chapter 1 where he said, your work of faith 
and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So in a sense, the Thessalonians were to live as they were already living, to stand at attention as as sober as on-duty soldiers wearing spiritual armor. And brothers and sisters, we of course receive the same instruction. Stand on guard as, as Christian soldiers. Let us wear the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation here and now. Because we, we stand like the Thessalonian believers in contrast to the way of the world. When others are, are saying so loudly, peace and security, peace and safety, we are equipped to see beyond this surface level, this surface illusion to deeper spiritual truths. We know that true peace and safety are only found in Jesus Christ. And so we must stand as sentries, strong in faith as we guard our hearts against the pressures and temptations of our culture. With faith, we we live soberly, knowing what the darkness looks like because we can see it so clearly from where we stand in the light. And that means we must be so rooted in the Word of God, what God teaches, that we are not tempted to buy that false peace and safety that the world offers. Because God's promises and God's promises alone are sure and unshakable. This earth will pass away, but the words of our Savior will not pass away. And we must be marked by love. Love for our God, for the other sons and daughters of the light, but but also for the sons and daughters of darkness. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 1, From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has, has gone out. Now what a beautiful thing to be said of a church That in the midst of affliction, they sounded forth the word of the Lord. Let that be said of us, brothers and sisters. Sharing this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it may very well turn the world upside down, but it is the true peace and safety that our world so desperately needs. And Paul gives one more piece of armor. We must put on as a helmet, he says, the hope of salvation. Well, faith and love, they focus us more on the present. Hope, it looks to the future. And what a glorious future. In light of their affliction, the Thessalonians would have looked with longing to the hope of full salvation to the future day of the Lord. And and in our own lives, Our afflictions and our suffering, it it tends to do that, doesn't it? On this earth, we're walking by faith. It's not yet by sight. Faith is, is sure of God's promises, but it doesn't see them all fulfilled quite yet. Hope directs our faith to a day when we will see. We will see the Lord Jesus on His great day and forever. Our task today is to live soberly, wearing the armor God provides. Stand firm in the promises of God and stand on guard against the ways of the world, 
because the day of the Lord is coming. And that brings us to our third point, where we'll consider our destiny as children on the great day. Now, in in the last verses of our text, Paul moves on from pictures, the, the pictures of day and night that he's been using, to speak more clear gospel language. He says in verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. These verses are, are the foundation upon which the entire passage has been built. All along, Paul has contrasted these two groups of people, sons of the day and sons of the night. And we've seen how this contrast, it includes different identities, day or night, different tasks, being sober or, or being drunk. And now it also comes down to different destinies. Sons of the night, they are destined to face God's wrath. But sons of the day are destined, Paul says, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But first, we, we have to grapple with God's wrath, the wrath that Paul speaks of. Because God is holy, He must punish sin, unholiness, with with righteous wrath, removing it from His presence. In our text, Paul implies that the sons of night, they will face this wrath for their unrepentant sin. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian believers, he writes of this this fate for the, the sons of the night a bit more clearly. He says, These unbelievers shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of His power. So we have to reflect on that and wrestle with that so that we don't just think of God as, as, as only love without justice. God is a God of love, and of course we cherish that so closely, but our, we and, and our world need to know that God will pour out His wrath on those who do not repent. But then, then we can move on from God's wrath in our own hearts because Paul makes clear that the Thessalonian believers, they should not live in fear of God's wrath. Instead of wrath, Paul writes that God appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's writing, remember, to the Thessalonian believers, it's just as true of us, those of us in Christ today. God's fingerprints are all over our salvation, from from our predestination all the way through to our final destination. Our Lord Jesus will return to bring us full salvation, to bring us home. How, How can these things be true? How can there be such a stark difference between the destinies of sons of the day and sons of the night? Paul explains in in only a few words. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Paul has been so forward-looking in our text that we might miss this point here. He has spoken of the future, 
He has given instructions about how to live in the present, but not here. Here he's pointing something that happened in the past. Jesus Christ died, past tense, for us. And that points us to the truth. Believers do not face the wrath of God because Jesus did. In Lord's Day 15, we confess during all the time He lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. That's our sin too. We deserve to face the wrath of God, but there is no longer any wrath left for us to face. Our present and our future is rooted in Jesus' atoning work completed in the past. So now we, we face a glorious destiny. And there's, there's more good news. Because Paul goes on to clarify exactly what this future looks like. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. In this verse, by, by wake or sleep, Paul means whether believers are still living when the Lord Jesus returns or, or whether they've already passed away, whether they've died and gone to be with Him. And it's, it's certainly true that, that already now, the souls of believers who have died have gone to be with our Lord Jesus. And we take so much comfort in that. And it's also true that already now we live together with Christ because His Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. But there will be a day, brothers and sisters, when we will live with Christ in body and soul. When we will see our Lord Jesus with physical eyes, when our faith, it will be sight. How eagerly would the Thessalonian believers have longed for that day. A day when they would never again face persecution from sons of the night. And how eagerly can we long for that day. We can fix our eyes on the future, looking to a day when we do not have to stand on guard against afflictions or temptations of this world. On that day, there will be no need for armor, no need to stand on guard against attacks, no more battles left to fight. In fact, we'll put down our armor because we won't need to be soldiers anymore. On that day, our Lord Jesus will return to bring us home, to live together with Him forever. So brothers and sisters, in conclusion, we look forward to, to far more than just the weekend. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to look forward to the weekend or to vacation when we can take some time to relax on the Lord's Day and enjoy the good gift of, of Sunday rest and worship but that doesn't mean that our weekdays are meaningless and that our daily lives don't matter. And of course, this principle, it's true for, for more than just the work week or the work year. Because we're not looking forward to wiggling our toes in the sand of Cancun. We're not looking forward to that next Friday night party. We're looking forward to the day of the Lord. 
This morning, our God has reminded us of our identity in Christ as sons and daughters of the day. He has taught us about how to live now, watching as soberly as soldiers as we wait for the great day. And in verse 11, Paul has one final instruction for the Thessalonians and for us. He says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Now, brothers and sisters, many of us have been believers for a long time, perhaps our entire lives. Just like the Thessalonian believers, we also, we don't have need of Paul to to remind us of these things. We've heard them before. We know these truths, but the Lord reminds us of them this morning for our comfort. But don't, don't keep them to yourselves. Set the day of the Lord in front of your own troubled eyes, but, but also go and set the day of the Lord before the eyes of your afflicted brother and your distressed sister. And take courage, because the Holy Spirit is at work among us. He equips you to live as sons and daughters of the day and to continue to edify one another, to build one another up, just as by grace you are doing. Amen.